0: Uh, we are in a series in the Gospel of John. Uh, we do not have projectors this morning, so you'll have to use a Bible or use your hand, to uh, uh, your phone, excuse me, unless you have it on your hand, like written. Uh, cool tattoo. Uh, but you can uh, use your phone or device, and uh, if you've got a Bible app, or you can probably just Google John chapter 8, and you can find it. We're in the English Standard Version of John chapter Eight, and we are talking about Jesus being the light of the world as over the next several weeks we are looking at the I am statements of Christ from the Gospel of John. One of my favorite things growing up going to school really about my only favorite thing about school because I just wasn't the guy that loved school um, was field trips. I loved field trips. And my favorite field trip I remember that everybody looked forward to when you were in middle school was what we called the Bear Creek Field Trip. Now Bear Creek um, looked like where they would film a horror movie, uh, where teenagers would be stalked or something like that. It, it had that kind of creepy vibe to it. But in middle school, it was a lot of fun. It was it was what it sounds like. It was at a creek, or actually a river. Uh, and we had... Uh, they had ropes courses and cabins, and you, you built campfires and did s'mores and, you know, sent people on snipe hunts and all sort of things like that. And, um, and it was uh, every middle schooler's favorite trip, is you got to go canoeing and do all this sort of stuff. Um, but it was kind of a creepy place at night uh, when, it, when it was dark. But it was extra creepy when you got to go on the little uh, cave exploration. uh, You got to go on this cave exploration. There was this cave there at Bear Creek, and you and your classmates, 25, 30 people, or 50, 60, I can't remember, would line up, and they would take you through this cave, and you had your little flashlights, right, and you had to duck and go between narrow places and and under and over, and it was wet at times. You had to wear messy clothes, right, and it was like this hour-long journey through this cave, and you, like, come out on this other end, but... It was, always, it was narrow and it was tight, and then there was this one big place they would get you to. It would open up, and it was this large room, not as large as this one, about half the size. And it was this big opening, and everybody would get, and they would have you all stand around the walls. And then the guy leading the tour would say, now I want everybody to cut off their flashlight. And you were in the belly of this cave, and you would cut off your flashlight. And it was so dark that you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. It was honestly the most darkness I think that I've ever experienced, and they talked about just how dark it was and how, you know, just literally no light whatsoever coming into that place, and it was the kind of darkness that if you stayed there long, it would, uh, it would make you crazy, right? I mean, it was just absolute darkness, and you're a little afraid in and that, in that kind of thing. You start hearing things, right? But you're in a big group of people, so obviously a lot of practical jokes and things like that begin to happen uh, in those kind of situations with middle schoolers. But when you're in total darkness like that, it means there is zero light, and you can't see, there are things that are there that you don't know about, and you're more likely to to harm yourself on accident and things like that, and your whole environment begins to be shaped by one thing, it's dark, and it defines the environment, and it begins to define the culture of the environment. Uh, Darkness is that powerful, it just begins to overtake everything else, and I don't really remember anything else about that room. I just remember it was dark, (laughs) and that's all I can tell you about it. And today, when we study John 8, starting in verse 12 down through verse 20 is what we're going to read, and we see Jesus claim to be the light of the world, just in that statement he is telling us more than something about himself, he's also telling us something about our lives and about the world around us. If he's the light of the world, then apart from him, apart from Christ, we and the world are in darkness. You can't see your hand in front of your face kind of darkness. The kind of darkness that will make you crazy if you stay in it long enough kind of darkness. The kind that can get you hurt. The kind that begins to shape and define your environment and your culture and everything about your life. Overpowering, overcoming, crippling darkness. And as we explore Jesus as the light of the world today, we're going to learn more about what he can do and only he can do in our lives and what he longs to do in and through our lives just because of who he is as the light of the world. So look with me at John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. We're going to read down through verse 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness... About myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. Jesus goes on there, and there's a little more story down through about verse 30. The scene it kind of picks up again, and it's, it's a little bit further definition of just this battle over who is Jesus and where is he from, what's he doing, claiming to be the light of the world. Now, this passage actually connects back to John chapter 7 and the story that's taking place there. This story is taking place during what was called the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, some call it. This was a major feast that Israel partook in. It was a joyous celebration that took place over the course of a week. And it was a time for Israel to remember how God preserved them in the wilderness. You might remember the story of Israel in the wilderness. When we spoke of that a little bit last week when we talked about the bread of life. And how Israel, when they left Egypt, when God delivered them from slavery, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And while they were there, God took care of them, right? He gave them manna from heaven. Which we know actually points to Jesus who is the true bread from heaven. But while they were there, they were also led by a pillar of fire by night, right? The the, the glory of God shone and and, and lit the way for them. And and all these images, what we're finding out are actually, we're pointing ahead to one who would come, who would actually be the bread of life and who would actually be light from heaven or the light of God. And so during this season when they would celebrate God's protection of them in the wilderness, they would stay in tabernacles or booths for seven days during the feast to remember how they survived in the wilderness. And it was during this celebration week that Jesus makes this statement. Now, I want you to think about this. The, the, they, it says they were in the treasury. This was in the court of women. This was one of the uh, more populated parts of the temple. And it was there that they had these large candelabras that they would set up and that they would light. And in celebration of God, who is their light, and in celebration of how he led them through the pillar of fire by night, they would sing songs and they would dance. Can you believe that? They weren't Baptists. They would dance and they would celebrate. And the holy men of of the community would get out and they would dance and they would celebrate. God is the light. And so that's what would happen during the Feast of Booths when they would light these candelabras and all this would take place. And imagine that. Jesus steps in the middle of that scene and says, I am the light of the world think about that for a second that if it's not true how arrogant that would be of a statement to step into a scene like that and go what a party how awesome is this party the dancing the music the lights i mean this is incredible by the way it's all about me thanks for the party you're celebrating me The light that you're celebrating that God provided for you, the light that you're celebrating that God is and how he provides and protects and and does all this for you is actually me. I am the light. Don't miss me for the candelabras. The story is about me. The miracle was about me. The pillar was about me. All the Old Testament imagery of light coming from God, it's about me. It's a bold statement. And Jesus is saying something different than other rabbis would have said. He's not saying he imparts light simply or he imparts truth. Rather, he's saying he is the source of all truth. He is the source of all light. He is the source of all true revelation from God. He's claiming to be God in the flesh. Revealing the glory of God. And the Old Testament was steeped in rich imagery when it comes to God and light. For instance... The tabernacle's holy place contained three things, the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing the throne room of God, the bread of the presence, and the golden lampstand. And last week, we looked at Jesus, the bread of life, and we talked about the manna imagery. What we did not get into is the 12 loaves of bread that were kept in the holy place. But he was also the light. And Exodus 25, 37 explains that there were to be seven lampstands lit, giving off light, In the holy place. Leviticus 24.2 also speaks to this. See, Jesus isn't picking random things with these I am statements to point to. He's not just kind of like winging it. He's revealing himself to be the one, the sent one, the anointed one that the Old Testament is about. and points to God incarnate. In the Psalms, it was God himself who was referred to as the light of his people. Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, in John's gospel, the most clear Old Testament imagery between light and God is actually found in Genesis. In Genesis 1, we read, in the beginning was God, right? Very soon after that, we see God begin his creative process with what? Let there be light. And then he begins to create. And he begins to put order to things. Notice how John begins his book. I'm going to go back and read to you John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not notice him. Do you notice the similarities with John and Genesis? Read it sometime. Read the first few chapters of Genesis. First few chapters, read John chapter 1. John is purposely calling that to mind. The Word, who John tells us is Jesus, was there from the beginning involved in the creation act. The world was created through Him, the agent of creation. John 1.9 tells us that this Word, Jesus, is the true light that gives light to the world. We see in Genesis, the earth was what? Dark and void. It wasn't until there was light that there was life. And in the same way, spiritually, the earth is in darkness and there is no life until there is spiritual light. And that light is Jesus. It is after the light came that you get life and order and the filling of the earth in Genesis. And life and order and fulfillment come after Christ comes into your life. John 8, verses 12 through 20, and really down through verse 30 that we read this morning, develops the big issue that the Pharisees take up with Christ after he claims to be the light of the world. And that is is his bearing witness about himself and his testimony can't be true since he's bearing witness about himself. D.A. Carson notes that this thing about light, the thing about light is that it is actually self-testifying. That's a good point. You don't need to bear witness (laughs) to light, right? It's either on or it's off. Everybody knows whether there's light or not in a place. It is self-revealing, self-testifying. Jesus says, my testimony is true, right? Because what? I know where I come from. And I know where I'm going, just like light. The source and the destination are obvious to me. Uh, You don't get it because you're in darkness. Jesus goes on to point out they only judge by the flesh what they can see. They aren't thinking any bigger than worldly thinking that is tainted by the fall. Notice the two witnesses Jesus says do testify to him. He says it's he and the Father. He says, actually, I do have two witnesses. First of all, there's me, who you're hearing. But then there's one that's unseen that you're not thinking about, and that is the Father that you claim to know but clearly don't because you don't recognize me. And he links he and the Father by saying if they knew him, they'd know the Father. But since they don't know him, they don't know the Father, as he would go on and explain other places. And Jesus is trying to get them to see that he is who John tells us about in John chapter one. He is the word that has been made flesh. He is the light of the world who gives life. He is the true light who has come into the world. And as the light of the world, I want you to see this morning, there are at least three things we can draw from that that helps us understand Jesus and his purpose for us and for our lives and what he's doing. Three things, okay? And they're, they're very Baptisty this morning. They all rhyme. I was feeling extra preacher-like in this nice room with all this reverb. Number one, Jesus illuminates. Jesus illuminates. He illuminates what? Spiritual truth and You might even say spiritual reality. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. As we know, the I am statement here points to his claim of deity. We covered that last week. The statement of the light of the world, as we mentioned, is right with Old Testament connotations. And as the light of the world, Jesus illuminates spiritual reality and truth for the world. The world is in darkness, and just as when God's creative work began, the world cannot understand God the world needs illumination and it's when Jesus comes on the scene it's when we we begin to see things through the lens of Jesus as the Messiah that things begin to make sense about God we begin to learn the truth about God and his work Jesus reveals that to us Jesus makes this clear it's why you can't really understand the Old Testament apart from a personal relationship with Jesus right you say, well, I think our Jewish friends and these Jewish rabbis, they have a really good, I'll listen to them to kind of get a grasp better of the Old Testament. Be very careful if they're not a Jewish friend, Jewish rabbi, that recognizes Jesus as the Messiah because the Old Testament's about him. So if you've missed that, you've kind of missed the whole thing. It, 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 he, he, it is about him. And he is the one who illuminates spiritual truth. It's when we begin to understand spiritual truth in all its reality, when we come to him by faith. He is the embodiment of the truth of God. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, it is told that the Messiah will be a light. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Prophesying that was when the Messiah would come on the scene. Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, he says to his Messiah, a light for the nations. 49.6 of Isaiah. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So, what does that mean when he says the Messiah would be a light? That the Messiah would reveal the truth about God to the nations so that people can know God and can know truth and can be saved. Notice the light that would be, this light would in fact be for more than Israel. He's saying it would be a light for the nations. His salvation would go to the ends of the earth. He'd be the Savior for all who believe, for all the nations. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus illuminates spiritual truth and reality for all. Now, if you want to know God, we have to have someone illuminate, because we're in darkness, we need someone to illuminate the truth about who God is, who He is, and show that to us. That's Jesus. The world was dark due to sin, and if we want to be able to no longer be ignorant of God, we need the light of Christ to open our eyes to that truth. In Christ... We see that God is holy. We see that God is just. We see that God is loving. We see God's character. We see God's purity. Christ reveals God clearly for Christ is God in the flesh. He is the light that illuminates spiritual truth. Now trying to understand God without Jesus is kind of like trying to find your keys in the dark. Stumble around, you don't really know where you're going. You need light that to be provided and it's through relationship with christ that we have that he opens that world up to us and in chapter nine jesus does a miracle chapter nine of john to illustrate the truth that he is the light of the world there's a blind man who's been blind for birth from birth in john chapter nine that he stumbles upon and jesus heals that man And makes it where he can see. He does so right after he claims again that he's the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. And then he goes over and he heals a man and causes all kinds of ruckus. People don't like it when Jesus goes healing people. Particularly when he does it on the Sabbath. Some people didn't. And what Jesus is showing us is as the light of the world, he came to make spiritually blind people see. And he came to show how blind the people were who thought they had spiritual eyesight who actually didn't like in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and many of them who were self-righteous in that day. He came to turn the light on. He illuminates spiritual truth and reality. And what does this mean for you and for me? And what he wants to do in and through us? Well, if you want to know God, first of all, it can only happen through relationship with Christ. And believer, he now calls you and I the light of the world. Think about that. He wants us to help people see God, to help them understand God. He wants us to reflect His light as the moon reflects the sun. And only the Holy Spirit can truly illuminate their minds to the truth of God. But we are to share the Word of God, share the Gospel, share the sword of the Spirit, and seek to help blind people see. It tells us a lot about our own identity in Christ when we understand His identity. Remember we said last week, when we understand who He is, we better understand who we are. So Jesus illuminates. He illuminates Spiritual truth. Secondly, Jesus eliminates. He eliminates spiritual darkness. He says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. For Jesus to illuminate, the counter to that would be obvious that darkness has to go away when the light comes on. For wherever the light appears, darkness is eliminated. And as Jesus reveals the truth about God, he cuts through spiritual darkness that keeps people in a fog and blind. And apart from Christ, we're all locked up in that darkness. In fact, Where does John tell us the light shines? We read John 1, 1 through 10 earlier. Verse 5, he says the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. He's encouraging us there because we realize Jesus, when he came into this world, stepped into a war zone. A dark world that hated truth just as the world we live in today. A world tainted by the fall. And the world in darkness, the light shines, the light is Christ. The darkness did not overcome Christ. Yes, we know he was rejected By his own, as John would tell us. He was crucified. But as John tells us at the end of his gospel, he has risen indeed. And Ephesians 5.8 describes our lost condition before Christ as being that of darkness. It's a theme throughout the New Testament. We were in sin, spiritually dead, blind to the truth of God. And our lives were marked by poor judgment and folly and foolishness and sin and wickedness. We tend to either live lives of self-righteous morality, trying to be our own savior, blind to just how fallen we are, or lives of immoral choices, seeking pleasure outside of God. Either way, both denote lives in darkness. Notice what John tells us in John 3. John 3, verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, Jesus comes into the world, but John tells us people love darkness rather than the light. Why do they love the darkness? He says because their deeds are evil. Our deeds are evil. He says it is in fact those that do wicked things, sinners who hate the light and refuse to come to it so that their works are not exposed. Right? You see, Jesus not only reveals the truth about God, but Jesus reveals the truth about us. He shows us where we stand spiritually. His coming into the world and being rejected shows us just how broken this world is. Our lack of coming to Him apart from the Spirit's drawing us shows us just how broken and fallen and depraved we really are. And when you're in darkness, evil deeds flourish. Whether that be things that all can see and call evil or more acceptable things like pride and self-righteousness, it's all evil and it flourishes in darkness, right? I remember as a teenager... Halloween would roll around, and we had one of those yards people like to roll, okay? It was a big yard, big front yard, so it was kind of hard to see. Had big old trees out there, and I always had friends, because I wasn't allowed to go do that at first. won't confess too many sins this morning. But so my friends would, a lot of times, they'd be like, well, they would see if they could get away with rolling my yard. And so for the first few years there, when I was in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, uh, it was my role to be the protector of the yard. Right? So, I would, I would sometimes hide out in the yard and try to catch my buddies who were out doing this kind of stuff. And always, it was always harmless, but they never tried it in broad daylight. It was always in the dark, right? Because in the dark, we know we can get away with things, right? And so, it's really in darkness that depravity flourishes. And we really begin to see how wicked we really are. And in spiritually speaking, when we're in the dark spiritually, Self-righteousness and pride and immorality and lies and deceitful living and all this sort of stuff flourishes because we're in the dark. And we hide from the light. We, We don't want to expose certain parts of our lives to God and to his truth or to his people because then it's revealed. Then we're found out. And there's a transparency that comes with walking in Christ and walking in the light, as John 3 tells us. You want people to see that your works are carried out in God. Not that you're perfect, not that you don't mess up, but you want to glorify God with your deeds. Whereas when you're in the dark, while you're trying to hide your deeds, you don't want people to know the real you, because the real you aren't isn't so great. To not walk in darkness means you are no longer in the dark about God, Right? Jesus changes us. We become people that love the light because we aren't worried about being exposed and we know God and we know Christ and and we progressively are becoming more like Christ as we are in the light. And Jesus begins to eliminate, he does eliminate spiritual darkness, but he progressively is eliminating sin and evil deeds out of our lives and one day he's going to eliminate it altogether. This life is just a foretaste. The spiritual change you experience that conversion is just a taste, a light little dip of the tongue in cold water compared to what's coming when sin is eradicated from your presence. Jesus is the eliminator of darkness. Notice this is conditional, though. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. See, for walking in spiritual darkness, we're not following Christ as we should be or not at all. 1 John, John wrote that as well. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 5-7, This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him, in God, is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He, as God, and as Christ is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. See, we can't fellowship with God and practice sin. Practicing sin is habitually is a trademark of spiritual darkness. John makes it clear to habitually and wholeheartedly walk in darkness is to show that you're not in the light and therefore not in Christ. That is one of the reasons John wrote the book of 1 John. To let us know that. To clear that up. And it is those who walk in light that show that the blood of Jesus has cleansed them. That's what we reveal. Is that our deeds have been, we've been washed. Jesus came to take away sin. So our lives should look like he's taking away sin. You can't be washed in the blood of Jesus and desire to be cloaked in darkness. If you love the darkness if you long to walk in sin, if you long to hide in it and to keep it, if you long to keep God out of certain areas of your life, you're missing light. In this life, sin will always be present and we will always struggle with it. But a day is coming where sin and darkness will be no more and Christ is going to eliminate it forever. But practically, if you're here, and you're in darkness, and you don't know God, and your life is characterized by sin and brokenness and not walking according to God's design, there is hope for you because the light of the world has stepped into the world. He has come, and Jesus can eliminate the darkness from your life, and he can save you from sin's penalty, but he can also break sin's power in your life so that its very power can be more and more, as you can see it, eliminated as you're released from it, as the power of sin is broken, and he begins to change you from the inside out. And one day you'll be made completely holy, but you can become more and more holy and like Christ, not in the holy roller, holier than thou, self-righteous sense in the word, but in the biblical sense of spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. That can happen, but we must follow Him. We trust and follow Christ. We turn from our sin, put our faith in Christ, and we follow Him and obey Him and seek to pursue Him and believer. The question for us is, are we following Christ closely? If you find yourself doing things that characterize people in the dark, in a season of evil deeds, and none of us are above it, all of us are capable of it, then we're not following Jesus closely. We have wandered. The light of Christ will never lead you into darkness. In fact, believers, we are people that are called to be Sharing the light of Christ in dark places, not walking in darkness ourselves. We need to be bringing the light of Christ in the dark places of our city, and our neighborhoods and families and workplaces. We need to be sharing Christ so that the light of the gospel can transform lives. And so the darkness is expelled. That happens as we proclaim Christ. So it is him we proclaim. So Jesus illuminates, Jesus eliminates, and thirdly, Jesus animates. He gives us spiritual life. He says, he will give the light of life. Whoever walks with him will not walk in spiritual darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus doesn't simply eliminate the darkness. The light that he gives brings life. Now, when I say animate, you think of cartoons. If you're like me, we think of animation. What is that? Right? It's, it's, it's taking a drawing and they give life to it in a movie. Right, It's a cartoon come to life, but not real life. And Jesus animates us in the sense of he brings real life to dead people. He doesn't just take people who are in darkness doing wickedness and, and give us light. He takes dead people and makes us alive. As the psalmist prayed in Psalm 56, 13, You have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. See, when the light of Christ shines on our hearts and we understand and believe the gospel, the darkness is dispelled, we're set free from our sin, we gain eternal life, we know God and we know His Son, which is the very definition of eternal life. And in darkness, there's no spiritual death. In light, there is spiritual life. Our whole nature is changed. And we begin to love God. We begin to love others. We have a new appetite for the things of God. We have a desire to live for God's glory instead of for ourselves and for our own purposes. Now think about it practically. What would happen to us without physical light on earth? We would die. <laughs> We'd freeze to death. We know that because of the warmth of the sun. But also there'd be no thing called photosynthesis. All the plants would die. And... We would have nothing to eat because then all the animals would die. So whether you're a vegetarian or a meat eater, either way, we're all in trouble, right? We can't survive without light. The world needs physical light to have life, and we need light, the light of Christ, to have spiritual life. And spiritual death will show up in our lives when we're not in line with Christ or we don't have the life of Christ. It shows up in coldness towards God, coldness towards his people. Because there is no light bringing the warmth and life of Christ. Practically, this is very simple. We either have life spiritually or we don't. This is a topic we've talked about a lot. We are either alive to God or we're not alive to God. Our lives are either characterized by spiritual darkness and death or by spiritual light and life, and you can't kind of sort of be alive spiritually. You're either alive or dead. And if there's life in you spiritually, then there is no death. You have been given life by Christ in a new heart that loves him. What do you have? Life or death? What characterizes your life? If you're a believer this morning, we bring light and life into our workplaces and into our families. We are the aroma of Christ. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we are to show people what it looks like to leave darkness but also to have life spiritually to be alive to God, and by the way, dead to sin. What it looks like to know God, to walk with God. We are supposed to be the living example. Our lives are to be bearing witness to the life Jesus gives. So Jesus is the light of the world. He illuminates the spiritual truth of God. He eliminates darkness and sin. And he animates us spiritually so that we become alive. And, but only, and only if we follow him. And that is the call of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Turn from sin and self and your own way of doing things and turn to me and follow me. What work must I do? Jesus told us last week, believe. John tells us, believe on Jesus, the Son of God. That's doing the works of God. Believe on his Son. Believe on Christ. Have you believed on Christ? Do you have spiritual life? That only happens when we put our faith and trust in the one who stepped into a dark, spiritually dead world full of spiritually dead people and laid down his life for you and I, paying the price that we owed, paying the penalty that was ours, dying in our place on the cross, bearing the full brunt of the wrath of God for us, Raised to life three days later, resurrected from the dead for our justification. And it's only when we turn from sin, put our faith and trust in Christ so that we can follow him. It is only when that happens that we step out of darkness into light and gain spiritual life. So that's, have you done that? Has that happened? And for every believer in Christ this morning, for every single one of us, I want to encourage us with this today. There is coming a day when the battle between darkness and light will be over. This world's still a spiritual war zone. There's still spiritual darkness all around it. But Christ is victor. And God himself is one day going to be our light for all of eternity as darkness is going to be completely eliminated. Death is going to be no more. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 25 says this about the future new heaven and earth. John writes, John again, I saw no temple in the city city of heaven. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. That's Jesus. Verse 23 And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb and by its light will all the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no reason to. There's nobody to keep out. And there will be no night there. There will be no scary things in the dark. There will be no way for wickedness to hide. Wickedness will be gone. Darkness will be gone. And and Christ, God, will be our light. That is our destiny. That is our future. We are only getting a taste of it since Christ has come into the world. The day of consummation is coming. Christ's kingdom was coming in finality and in fulfillment. And that's what we pray for and look for and look to as we share the gospel in the light of Christ. The battle will be over. The kingdom will come. And the darkness will be gone forever. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and there's never been a time in your life where you turned from your sin and trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, you've never called out to Him by faith and and asked Him to save you, you've never rested. And his death on your behalf and his resurrection is your only hope of heaven. You, you've never come to him by faith. And you know that this morning. And you're in darkness. You're spiritually lost. And you'd say, pray for me, pastor. Just pray for me this morning. I'm not going to point you out, but with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just quietly raise your hand so I just know to pray for you? I'm concerned about my spiritual condition. Would you pray for me? If you're here this morning and you're a believer, search your heart. Let's search our hearts this morning. Ask God, ask Jesus to continually eliminate darkness and dark places in our lives and shine his light in those places so that we can grow and mature spiritually and pursue his likeness. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. If I can pray with you or for you about anything, I'd love to do so. I'll be right over here by the banner, by the pulpit. I would love to pray with you as we stand and sing. Let's pray. Father.